0: Pray with me. God, thank you for the chance to be together again this evening. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the beautiful message and music we just heard and for, uh, God, the singing that we've been able to do. We pray now as we open your word, you'll speak to our hearts. God, you'll help us to be attentive, uh, open, and responsive to whatever it is that we need to hear. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Marcy. Marcy, I sit by Brandon a lot of times on Sunday mornings, and you sing like 10 million times better than he does. Yeah. And but better than me, too, by the way, also. Choir did a great job, too, Wayne. Barry, raise your hand. We are blessed to have our Barry, our our associational director, Barry Joiner. He prefers to be called the Pope. If you... Uh, <laughs> but we're glad Barry is here with us this evening. Please keep Norman awake. His snoring does bother me when I preach, uh, Barry. The word profound is a great word. In fact, it's a profound word. The word profound means penetrating deeply. It means that you move beyond the surface to, and you move beyond the superficial down to a deeper level of something. And this evening in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to look at what I call profound Christianity. Not profound in a mystical, philosophical way, but in a very practical way that if you and I would apply the things that are laid out in the scripture, we will move our spirituality, we will move our Christian life and our qu- Christian walk beyond a superficial level to a deeper more penetrating walk with Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to give you two big ideas tonight. Here's the first. Individually spend much, much time in the holy of holies. Now, what that's saying, and you've been here on Sunday nights. You know we've been in Hebrews since January. And you understand the holy of holies means the presence of God. If you're going to have a profound relationship with God, you've got to personally... Spend much time in the presence of God. verse 19 through 22, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from our guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What is he talking about here? Well, the most holy place in verse 19 was the Holy of Holies. It was the most holy place that there was. In the tabernacle, which was the portable temple or the temple, The Holy of Holies was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was the place that represented the literal presence of God. Only one time a year could anyone enter that, and it was the high priest on the Day of Atonement. When he entered it, he entered it tentatively and with fear and trembling. In fact, they made, uh, they made special precautions in case he died in there. They would be able to get him out without sending someone else in there to die too. You didn't just, you know, if I go in there and die, you don't just send Kenny in there to get me or he's going to die too. Then you're going to have to drag two of us out some way. Uh, it was uh, uh, the, obviously a very holy place and a place that brought about a lot of fear. People had died When they were in the presence of God, they had died around the Ark of the Covenant in the past. And to get to the Ark of the Covenant, it's interesting, you had to go through a veil. It was a veil that separated the holy place where a priest went in daily to offer sacrifices to go into the Holy of Holies. Now, this wasn't just like a curtain. This was a huge, very thick veil that had to be... Uh, Obviously, that the high priest had to move to get back into the Holy of Holies. It's neat this passage tells us that the high priest went through the veil to get into the presence of God. But now we go through the body of Jesus Christ. We go through the blood of Jesus Christ to get into the presence of God. It tells us in verse 9, 22, it says, We've been cleansed. This can be baptism. But it's probably more than just human baptism. It's it's Christ's work in us to cleanse us inside and out. That when Jesus died and we accepted that, that, that not only was the veil torn, and it was torn when Jesus died, exposing the holy of holies. But when Jesus died, literally because of his death, and when we accept his death, and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, that our access into the presence of God has been made completely free and available. In verse 19 it says we have confidence to enter the most holy place. I mentioned earlier the high priest entered tentatively into the holy of holies. That word confidence means freedom and boldly without any anxiety and fear that we can draw near to God. And we're told in verse 22, now this is very significant and I'll try to get to that just a second we are told to draw near to God we are told to come to God to get into God's presence now what what does that mean isn't God everywhere so it's easy to say well God is everywhere so I'm always in the presence of God listen God's everywhere but I want to tell you you're not in the presence of God a whole lot of times in your life amen I mean God's everywhere But what he's saying is, I want you to make a choice. He's talking to believers as Christians to regularly, consciously, and consistently get into the presence of God. We would think about this as our prayer and our Bible study. We would think about this as our quiet time here. Nothing mystical, nothing strange, but just simply what God's telling us to do. To consciously get into the presence of God. Become aware of his presence and respond and interact with him in that presence. Several years ago, there were some statistics about pastor's spiritual life that were, that were just staggeringly sad to me. One was the average American pastor spends five to seven minutes a day in prayer. Now, five to seven minutes a day in prayer is great if you're a baby Christian. It's horrible if you're our professional minister. But what's even scary about that, it probably means that the average Christian is spending less time than that in the presence of God. Listen, we are lazy after God. The person reading this originally, the the Hebrew Jewish person, they understood the Holy of Holies. They probably wondered all their life, what really lies behind that veil? Well, we know what the Bible says, but what is it like? don't you know if you knew the high priest, you'd sit him down. What was it like to be in there? And here God's saying, listen, direct access to the Father is, av- is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And if we're going to have profound Christianity, we've got to make a choice individually to spend a lot of time in the presence of God. Here's what we do, though. We rush to work. We rush home from work. We rush to the ball game. We rush to the restaurant. And by the time we get home, it's 8.30 or 9, and we're what? We're tired. And so we play on the computer, or we text people. And then we go to bed, and we're exhausted. We get up in the morning, we do the same thing over and over and over again. And we're just missing God. I want to ask you, do a little experiment with yourself this week. How much time do you play on your computer or your iPad? How much time do you play on your phone? Now, I'm not necessarily condemning that, by the way. I just want you to do a little experiment. And then keep another notepad. How much time do I spend reading my Bible? And how much time do I spend praying? I'm afraid we'd be staggered if we saw the difference in that. I believe you're here on Sunday night because you desire a deeper relationship with God. Listen, a deeper relationship with God is never going to happen by accident. It's not going to be a coincidence that you wake up one day and go, Wow, I am really profound in Christ. And a lot of people believe they are that aren't. But it's going to take good old discipline. It's going to take good old things like making yourself get up in the morning and spend time in prayer and reading your Bible, making yourself do that at night. You say, Well, I don't know how to do those things. We will spend extraordinary effort helping you to learn how to do those things because they're so important. I was listening to a sermon this week by a guy named R.T. Kendall. R.T. Kendall uh, is a famous pastor. He was pastor at Westminster Chapel in England. Has anybody heard of him besides Andy and Bobby? Uh, he's fam- well, he's famous to about four of us, but he, he, he's famous to those of us in the know, obviously. <laughs> or those of us who are bored and don't have anything else better to do than listen to English preachers. But R.T. Kendall had a friend who, who lived in England, but he would go about six times a year to India to do evangelistic mission work. And one time he came back and he said, RT, you're not going to believe what happened in this village where I was. He said, he said I, I'm almost embarrassed at our Christianity after being there. He said, I saw people healed. I saw, I saw miracles happen. I saw things happen. And it, it wasn't anything through this preacher. He said, I just saw things I've never seen in my life happen, the power of God. And he said there was a lady there. Her name was Sister Teresa, not Mother Teresa, but a different lady, Sister Teresa, that was in this village. And they said that she was a wonderful lady of God who had a special insight, uh, discernment, as a gift from God. And they said, you've got to meet this lady. So he met the lady. And, and he asked her, he said, ma'am, he told, told her about himself a little bit. He said, do you have a word from God for me? And she turned and walked away. And he thought, well, I guess that God is not very pleased with me. Well, what she was doing, she went away to pray. She came back 30 minutes later. She sat down with the man. And she said, he said, she told me things about my life there's no way she could have known if it hadn't been for God. And she shared with me things that God had told her that I needed to do and affirmations. And then she looked at me and she said to this minister, she said, Sir, God also told me this. He loves you so much. He wants you to give the first two hours of your day every morning to him in prayer and Bible study. God bless you. And she walked away. You know what that man told R.T. Kendall? He said, You know what? Rest of my life, if I'm in the nursing home, I'm in the ICU unit, and I'm going to give God two hours a day. Now, I'm not saying you need to give God two hours of prayer and Bible study. Some of you do. You're a young Christian or a baby Christian, start with 15 or 20 minutes, but that should always be growing. Because I want to tell you this morning, God, this evening, whenever it is, we are here. That God loves you so much that He wants you to prioritize time with Him. Quit being lazy after God. Quit being so distracted. If you really want to move your spiritual life to a profound level, it's, here's how it's going to happen. Discipline. Discipline to get in the holy of holies and spend time with God. What a tremendous privilege that is. Amen. What a tremendous privilege. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, this passage, it's neat that they're tied together. Here's the second part of this profound Christianity. Be in church consistently too. You know, as a pastor, I have preached these next verses that I'm going to share with you probably 10 or 15 times through the years. I've never preached the ones before it. And and that was my failure because they go hand in glove together. If you're going to have a profound walk with Christ, you have got to discipline yourself to get into the presence of God regularly. But you also have to discipline yourself to be in the house of God consistently. Verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. Toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, folks, in verse 25, this meeting together is a formal concept, it's the, it's the, the formal assembling together we call a church service. This is not me and three buddies getting together at McDonald's, which is fine, to eat a Big Mac and to talk about Jesus. That is true. That's great. This is talking about coming together for worship, for singing, for preaching, for baptizing, for offering, for praying. It's the organized part of the the Christian life. Remember what I said this morning, if you were here, church is found 115 times in the New Testament. 90 to 100 times, it's not talking about the mystical universal church, it's talking about the local body, the local church, the organized church. And that's what God's saying here is that you and I need, in fact, not need, we must have consistent time in the church house to use our concept. Now, it's interesting, Luke 5 16, Luke 5 16, listen to what it says. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. What was he doing? He was getting to the Holy of Holies there, wasn't he? Go back one chapter, Luke 4, 16. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went and played golf. And he went swimming because he said, hey, it's really just any other day. And I can worship God on the golf course. No, it doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? It says he went to the synagogue as, read that last part with me. That's what he did consistently. Here's a couple of thoughts on this. Number one, it's obedience. Being in the house of God consistently is just flat-out obedience. Several years ago, a popular author wrote a book, and in this book, he was talking about spiritual growth. Here's what he said. Sometimes to grow spiritually, you've got to quit reading your Bible, and you've got to quit going to church. And let me tell you what that is. That's called a heresy. That's called false teaching. You are not going to grow in Jesus Christ by neglecting his book. In fact, you're going to grow in weird directions. You are not going to grow in Jesus Christ by neglecting his body and his bride. That is false teaching. That's, that's, you're not going to grow spiritually by sinning. You learn by sinning. You get scarred up and messed up. But you don't grow spiritually, okay? Uh, so here's what he's telling us to do. He's telling us that part of what we need is what you're doing tonight. Now, I read a commentator this week I thought was great. He said when it talks about don't forsake the assembling, being in church, he wasn't saying you've got to be in church eight times a week. Say amen to that. Amen. I'm going to be honest with you. As bad as we've overdone it sometimes, haven't we? We, we really have. He's not saying that you need to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday afternoon to get ready for all that's coming the next week. But he's saying it's, it's impossible and it's sinful not to give God an hour or two at the minimum every week in the local church. It's just simple obedience to what God has told us to do. It's, it's interesting. He says they, they are forsaking. Let's not, let's not give up. And that literally means that they're leaving it behind. They were quitting. Isn't it sad and isn't it interesting that here in the early church, maybe 30, 35 years after Jesus' resurrection, people were already saying, I don't need this, it's not important. The word quit or forsake means that you, you quit doing something. Some people I know who I think are probably atheists, they give up chocolate. Laugh with me, that was intended to be semi funny. <laughs> to forsake something means that you you move away from it. Some of you have moved away from a town or a community. He's saying, don't forsake, don't quit, don't leave behind your church attendance. Why was this happening 2,000 years ago? may have been fear. They were afraid they were going to be persecuted. How many years will it be in America before we're persecuted for coming to church? I don't know, but it wasn't tonight, was it? You're not going to be stopped and beaten because you came to church tonight, correct? It's not going to happen. Could they have been just busy? Absolutely. Could it have been lazy? Absolutely. Someone said two reasons people don't come to church consistently. It's ignorance or it's arrogance. It's powerful, but it's true. You know, ignorance doesn't have to be... Ignorance is not necessarily a bad word. It just means you don't know better, right? It can be a bad word when you look at someone and say, You're ignorant. That's bad. But ignorance just means there's a lack of knowledge there. Everyone in here knows who Bill Gates is. He's my first cousin. I wish. I wish. Bill Gates is the wealthiest man in America, one of the wealthiest people in the world. He said several years ago, he said, church is not a good use of my time. It's not an effective use of my time. I think Bill saying that out of ignorance. Bill just doesn't know better. Not that he's an ignorant person. He's just ignorant on that subject. Some people don't come to church because they just don't know better. Some people, it's arrogance that they don't need it. Man, they have arrived. They have already gotten there. Friend, it's, number one, it's obedience to be in the house of God. But it's such an important thing for spiritual growth. Here's the second part of this, is it helps many other people when you're this way. When you and I are consistent in coming to church, we help many other people too. Verse 24 and 25, great verses. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to, toward love and good deeds. Don't give up. Don't forsake coming to church, as some are already in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In verse 24, let us spur. That word literally means to sharpen. It means to sharpen. You sharpen a pencil. You sharpen a knife to help it be more effective, don't you? And when you stop sharpening that pencil or that blade or that knife, eventually it becomes dull and ineffective. And and I think that's such a great way. What God's saying here is that when you and I are consistent in church, we help sharpen other people. We help them become who God wants them to be. We help them grow in their, their loving God and loving people. We help them be who and be about the things God wants them to be. One, your very presence in church is encouraging to other people. Your absence in church is discouraging to other people. Years ago, this was before I came here, I I met a lady who who was coming to church. She doesn't come to church here now. uh, But she was coming, and and she, uh, she said, I came to church a couple of times on Sunday night. But here's what she said, there wasn't anybody there. So I figured it just must not be very important. We discourage people. By our lack of attendance? Or we encourage them by our simply being in the pew. You ever thought about that? That your presence encourages people? One of my good friends in Texas who was very consistent. He was church Sunday morning and Sunday night, Sunday school. He was always there. Very busy guy. His family was not, he didn't grow up going to church. His family did not go to church. But here's what he said. He said, I understand by me being in church, it shows my priorities and it shows where my loyalties lie. We have all kinds of family things on Sunday. And I always tell them I'll be there after church, whether it's in the morning or whether that's in the evening. It encourages other people. It sharpens other people. And certainly the more involved you get, the more you serve, the more you teach, the more you help, you sharpen other people. For one of the reasons God's left you here is to love people and to do good works. And by being in church, developing a profound Christianity, one thing you do is you benefit other people. But the last thing, it helps you a lot too. It just flat out helps you when you're active in church. I won't read them again because we've read them several times, but spurring on to good deeds, encouraging one another. You know, I've seen Christians that went to two extremes. One was that I don't really need church because... I pray and read my Bible, and I have such a profound walk with God. I've seen others who were probably active in church but neglected the, the personal time with God. And it, you don't have balanced growth there. If you go to the gym and all you did with curls, you will die with really big arms, at least on this side. But you will not be necessarily a healthy person. Healthy spirituality comes from a lot of time personally with God and from being consistent and active in His local church. Folks, you were not called to be a pious particle. You were not called to live on an island by yourself. And you cannot have good developed growth without being in the house of God. I, I, don't, I hope you understand this. Everybody in here needs to be sharpened Consistently. And one way we're sharpened is by other people. God's given people talent and gifting to sing, to teach, to preach, to lead, to help us get sharper in our relationship with Christ that we cannot do by ourselves. How many of you know who Jesse Ventura is? Jesse Ventura was the, the governor of Minnesota. He was a professional wrestler. He was a Navy SEAL. He's really a very accomplished guy. Jesse Ventura, back in 1999, said a very dumb thing. He said, organized religion is a sham. It's for weak people. It's for weak people. Now, I want to agree with the second part of that. It is for weak people. And by the way, you're a weak person. And by the way, Mr. Baldy on the screen a minute ago is a weak person, too. And he may not realize that until he's in the ICU or his wife's in the ICU or until he gets a terrible phone call sometime. But you know what? We're all weak people, and we need one another. Matthew 5, 3 is one of the great verses in Scripture. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize their own need for God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Friend, you need church. You need church. Some of the wackiest and weirdest religious people I have encountered are people who think they know a lot about God but who aren't consistent in a local church and they're always bending off this way or the other. And with the rise of the internet and and Google this, Google that, they're getting weirder and weirder all the time. Man, you need a church. Because not only does it, you can help others, but it helps you so much too. Years ago, my dad wrote something in one of my Bibles, and then he he wrote in two or three of my Bibles a little phrase that said, To be much for God, we must be much with God. I don't know where that came from, but it's such a great statement. To be much for God, I must be much with God. And I think what we saw tonight in Hebrews 10 is exactly what this is talking about. If you want to have a profound relationship with Christ. If you want to have a profound impact on others. If you want to walk into heaven someday and Jesus say. We knew each other well there and boy it's going to be a great eternity. You got to be much with God. And that is on the individual basis. And on the corporate basis. So I want to challenge you tonight. If you're not a Christian. When we. Begin to sing in just a moment to come and give your life to Christ. You may be here. You may have been in church all your life, but you've never been born again. Come tonight and follow Christ. Maybe you'd like to join our church. We'd love for you to do that. You can come and do that tonight if you'd like to. But every one of us here who doesn't fit in one of those categories, who's a Christian, needs to make a decision that we want to move our walk with Christ to a profound level. It will not happen accidentally. It will happen on purpose when you choose to get into the holy of holies a lot and when you keep choosing what you've already chosen tonight, to be in the house of God consistently. Let's stand as God leads you as we sing. Respond to it.